0: So this week marks the uh, third in a series of reflections. And uh, to remind you, uh, two weeks ago, I shared uh, in our endeavor to follow Jesus on the way of radical love that some of the characteristics or attributes, I think, that are important to be a follower of Jesus, uh, the primary one is that we would become agents of reconciliation, that we would work to craft a space, a place for people to experience reconciliation with this divine other we name God, that we could experience reconciliation with each other and reconciliation with ourselves, as well as reconciliation to all of creation, to the environment, to the climate. That this is a primary function of what we call a church. Then last week, I shared, if we're going to endeavor this work of reconciliation, we should marinate that work with compassion. Because if we're not compassionate, if we're just mean and stubborn and arrogant, we're going to be very counterproductive and trying to reconcile anybody to anything or anyone. So compassion is very important. This week I would like to now add the seasoning of wisdom to our work of reconciliation and the importance of wisdom. And so the text Bob read to us is a classic in the Bible about uh, wisdom and how young King Solomon asked God, for wisdom. Solomon, it is believed, was in his early 20s when he became king of Israel. And so that's a young age. And not only that, he was replacing a legend. David, his father, was the most prominent and famous king of Israel. And under David's reign, Israel grew to its height in all its history of power, and affluence, and influence in the whole Middle Eastern world. So replacing a legend is a thankless job that is always doomed for failure. For example, uh, can you remember who replaced John Wooden as the coach at UCLA (laughs) in basketball? Or who replaced uh, the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King at Ebenezer Baptist Church? or who replaced Diana Ross in The Supremes, or Bill Murray on Saturday Night Live. Replacing a legend is thankless, thankless work. And so young Solomon in his 20s is tasked with this incredible thing. Now Solomon, the Bible says, was the wisest man that ever lived. And he was a pretty smart kid because he realized the great... Source of his father David's power and success was in David's relationship with God. And so Solomon, at the very beginning, tries to foster that relationship, and as Bob read to us, planned one of the most elaborate worship services ever held before the Ark of the Covenant in order to please God and to woo God's help and assistance. And it did, It worked. And so in a dream, God comes to Solomon and says, Well, well done, kid. What do you want? I'll give you whatever you ask for. Now, can you imagine being in your early 20s and the almighty, powerful God says, I'll give you whatever you want? That's a scary proposition. If I was in my 20s and God said, What do you want? Ask for what." we would all be in big trouble. But Solomon very wisely says, give me an understanding heart that I might actually serve the people you've entrusted to my care. Now that touches God's heart. and God says, oh, well done, kid. In fact, I'm not only going to give you that, I'm going to give you wealth, I'm going to give you prosperity, I'll give you all the things you didn't ask for. And so this wisdom or understanding heart is very important, I think, as we try to follow Jesus. Now, Helen Luke, who is a writer that writes a lot about Dante and Dante's epic poem, The Commedia, Uh, the Inferno and the Purgatorio and the Paradiso. Uh, Helen Luke writes that Solomon is not asking for head knowledge, not the kind of wisdom that would impress others, feed his own ego, or win large sums of money on jeopardy. (laughs) Solomon is asking for heart knowledge, which is laced with compassion. So how would we define this heart knowledge or this compassionate wisdom, I'll call it? Well, as I've thought about trying to, how do we explain this? uh, This week, as I thought about it, the the words of Supreme Court Justice, or Potter Stewart, in the 1964 case, Jacob Ellis versus Ohio, which was a a Supreme Court case uh, exploring pornography, Potter Stewart says, well, I know it when I see it. And I think that's what compassionate wisdom is like. It's like pornography. We know it when we see it. It's hard to describe. It's hard to codify because what is compassionate wisdom in one setting could be very oppressive in another setting or situation. It's not a one-size-fits-all kind of proposition and, and, and think of the issues we're dealing with today with environmental justice and abortion and uh, immigration, particularly at our southern border. Having compassionate wisdom for one particular issue could be really oppressive if it was taken for the whole thing. And so it's hard to explain. It's hard to codify. But as I've thought about who are the people in my life that I look to that I think are wise, that I think really have something to offer us? And as I thought, what are the characteristics of these folks that I consider wise? I've come up with four characteristics that I think embody a person of wisdom. And so my four characteristics are they are um, comfortable and spend time in solitude. They live lives in service to others, number two. Number three, they have an ability to see through complexion. And then the fourth thing, they're humble. These are four characteristics I would offer and suggest for your consideration for what I consider wise individuals. And so let me unpack those things just briefly here this morning for us. So by solitude, I don't necessarily mean somebody that just wants to be alone all the time. There are some people that are alone all the time that I'm glad they're alone all the time because they're dangerous when they're with others. But solitude is, is people that have an ability to get alone, get quiet, and reflect on who they are and why they are. Why do they behave the way they behave? They're able to to push out the noises and distractions and really do some self-reflection. The great Chinese master Lao Tzu in the Dao Te Ching says to understand others is to be knowledgeable, to understand yourself is to be wise. And so people take time in solitude to consider who they are and to understand themselves. Now for many of us, it can be a scary prospect to turn off the TVs and put everything down and just sit and reflect on who we are because we're afraid of what we'll discover if we go looking in there. And so we fill our world often with noise and distractions. And I remind you of that great line from the four quartets I love. T.S. Eliot says, we are distracted from distraction by distractions. We want to keep things going all the time. So we're not looking inward to see who we are, why we are, why do we behave as we do. And solitude isn't simply just being alone, but it's an intentional looking into my own heart into my own behavior. Some people call this contemplation. Some people call it meditation. I don't care what you call it. I think if we're going to live wisely, it's a necessary ingredient in our lives to consider our own behavior, our own beliefs, why we have those beliefs. Are they grounded in reality? And solitude is a great help for that. When someone has plumbed the depths of his or own, her own heart, they, they speak as a voice and not an echo. And when we hear them, they don't just tease our thinking, but they pierce our souls. People that spend time in this kind of reflection I'm talking about. Now another aspect of the kind of wisdom, this understanding heart is service to others. Again, Lao Tzu in the Dao Te Ching says, the sage accumulates nothing. Having used what she or he has for others, she or, or he has even more. The way of the human is to be ha- act on behalf of others and not to compete with them. <laughs> And this is exactly what Solomon in the text Bob read was asking for, a heart to serve the people under his care. Jesus, the great rabbi that we're trying to follow, says in Matthew 20, 28, even I did not come to be served, but to serve and to give my life for others. And so this serving others is incredibly important. Now, by seeing through complexity, here's what I mean. Uh, The wonderful Buddhist teacher Thich Nhat Hanh wrote that every view is the wrong view if it is presented as the only view. And, And so what he's touching on here and and this is something I find in the people I consider wise, they do not just present one side of a complex issue, like abortion, or immigration, or environmental justice. They don't just present one side. They have an ability to appreciate the insights from people that have a differing view, and they work that in to their conclusion. If somebody is only presenting one side of an issue, I'll be honest, I tune them right out. I don't trust what they're saying. When they're ignoring or neglecting the insight from the other side of that issue. And, and close to that, and what some people will sometimes do pretending to present the other side of an issue, they'll do what the philosophers call a straw man argument where they'll present the other side, but in such an extreme way, a wacko version of the other side, that everybody would think, well, that that makes no sense at all. That's not fair. Look, we have to be honest. When it comes to abortion, there are wise and compassionate people that think opposite the way you do and the way I do. And to just discount them or blow them off is not helpful. When it comes to immigration, there are wise people that have differing views of whatever your view and my view is, and to ignore them, or just oh, I consider the source, it's no, is not helpful. Wise people have an ability to listen to many sides of complex issues, and then they present their wisdom to us in things that drive us crazy that we call paradox. Wise people love paradox. And it it twists our heads out of shape, but it also opens our heart. And so that's one of the things wise people do. They avoid uh, either or in black and white thinking. And they're not argumentative folks. They're humble. They invite you to consider. They invite you to look into your own heart. They don't coerce you into thinking the way they do. They're not trying to use propaganda to get you to the same conclusion they come to. They invite. They're humble. They're not elitist. That I'm smarter than you. You just need to listen. Look at all the degrees after mine. Just shut up and listen to me. They're not like that. And they're quiet. They offer what they offer. You can choose. To listen if you want, as Jesus our rabbi says, for those who have ears to hear, if you want to listen. Kehel Gabran in his book The Prophet, says, If he or she, the teacher, is indeed wise, she or he does not bid you enter the house of their wisdom, but rather lead you to the threshold of your own mind. And I think that's the kind of wisdom we should be pursuing. So now, those are my four characteristics of wise people. They spend time in solitude, in reflection, in contemplation. They serve others. They have an ability to see through complexity. And they are humble. Now, whether you agree with those four things or not, the real question is, how do we become wise? That's the real question. And what's been so helpful for me are words that were written by a Greek poet 2,500 years ago, Aeschylus, the great playwright. In his play, Agamemnon, 2,500 years ago, this Greek dude wrote these words that have become almost a mantra for me. He or she who learns must suffer. And even in our sleep, pain that cannot forget, falls drop by drop upon the heart, and even in our own despite comes wisdom to us by the awful grace of God. So what Aeschylus is presenting for our consideration is really the only way anybody ever becomes wise is through our suffering. It's through hardship. When we go through a season of suffering and then look back, it breaks us open. Now sometimes suffering just makes us mean and bitter. It just does. And sometimes it opens our heart to become more understanding and compassionate. And what is the difference between those things? And I would suggest it is that phrase, the awful grace of God. But first I want to talk about how does suffering possibly help us to become wise? And to help understand that D.T. Suzuki, the great Zen master in line with Aeschylus. Suzuki says this, for the more you suffer, the deeper grows your character, and with the deepening of your character, you read more penetratingly into the secrets of life. All the great artists, all the great religious leaders, and all the great social reformers have come out of the intensest struggles. They fought bravely, quite frequently in tears and with bleeding hearts. Unless you eat your bread in sorrow, you cannot taste of real life. So what Suzuki is saying, in line with Aeschylus, suffering can enable us to live wisely, and the unique bread suffering has to offer is real life, reality. See, suffering has the ability to shatter the illusion that I am the center of the universe, that I'm all that in a bag of chips, so much better, so much bigger, so much smarter. So It just shatters all that. And it opens our, it can open our heart. And so, like I say, it can make us mean and bitter. It can open us up. The ingredient, that sort of X factor, if you will, that makes the difference, I believe, is the awful grace of God. Where through the suffering, we realize we're not alone. God is with us. And we realize we are not the center of the universe. That we're interconnected with all these other beings on the planet. We're just all trying to do the best we can. And we're in this together. And we need each other. That's what awful grace has to offer us. And it's not different from amazing grace. That experience where God loves us and embraces us and cherishes us. Those are two sides of the same coin. Now, grace is not only awful, it's not only amazing. Sometimes it's just downright annoying. (laughs) And it's annoying because it's incredibly personal, intimately personal. It comes in its own sweet time. And all the screaming and yelling and praying and fasting is not going to hurry it up one whit. I've tried. It just shows up when it shows up. Yes, it is liberating. And yes, it can open us to wisdom. But grace also requires change. Grace requires that I trust in God's acceptance and quit acting like a frightened little child. Maybe Anne Lamott puts it most succinctly when she writes, I do not understand at all the mystery of grace, only that it meets us where we are, but does not leave us where it found us. So am I wiser today than I was 20, 30 years ago? After years of studying the Bible and theology and practicing as a minister and praying and reflecting, am I any wiser today? I suppose that depends on who you ask. <laughs> I'm sure there are some of my older friends that think I've turned into a flaming heretic and I'm hell-bent for, or hellbound or whatever, that I've just gone crazy. And then there's other friends of mine that think, well, I outgrew the immaturity of my early faith and now I'm in mature faith and I'm wise. Well, who's to say? I don't know. I'll leave that to God. I think at the end of the day, here's where I'm at. I'm older. I have many more questions than I have answers. And I'm comfortable with that. And I find that I seem to be nicer to people than I was years ago. I've learned what demons certainty can make of us. When I knew I was right, absolutely sure, I was not very nice. And now having many more questions and answers, I feel like I'm a much nicer person. But you'd have to ask the people that encounter me day to day. I think at the end of the day, though, justice. Stuart Potter had it right. Like pornography, wisdom is just one of those things. We know it when we see it. And so it is my prayer that you will see some wisdom in your own life. May it be so. Our final uh, benediction or words of wisdom, I'm going to give that over to Howard Thurman. Howard Thurman was a wonderful civil rights leader. He was a friend with Martin Luther King Jr.'s father, and he was a mentor to Martin Luther King Jr. And Howard Thurman wrote this, There is something in every one of you that waits and listens for the sound of the genuine in yourself. It is the only true guide you will ever have. And if you cannot hear it, you will... all your life, spend your days on the string, on the ends of strings that somebody else pulled.